0: Good morning. You're going to have to excuse me. I've got a kink in my neck this morning. Yesterday, my wife and I with our life group went to Kings Island. And I don't know if it was the the beast that got me or it was Catherine pulling me and grabbing my shoulder and arm on each and every ride. But for whatever reason, I've got a stiff neck this morning, which reminds me of a friend of mine, Pastor Rico. He preached an entire sermon on stiff-necked Christians. I'm not a stiff-necked Christian, but this morning my neck is sore. Um, How about all the tie-dye this morning? That is awesome. That is awesome. If you haven't been able to keep up with everything going on, check on the website, look in the bulletin, talk with someone. We've had kickball lately. We've had tie-dye socials. The youth went on a trip. Our life group went on a trip. Um, There's just so much going on here, and I encourage you to get plugged in. The... Kids can go ahead and uh, go to Kids Church and Tween Scene. can go to Tween Scene if you're not down there. And before I forget, we do have a communion table at the cross here. So when we have the chance to have communion later on in the service, it's not only in the back table. We have them in the back, but we also have one here in the front. Let's go ahead and get started with a a word of prayer this morning. And uh, let's just lift up the Lord. God, we just thank you for the ability to be here, the privilege to be here, the freedom that we have to be here. Lord, we just ask that you be the one that eyes are upon this morning, God, not a single man, not a single story, God, that we don't look up to hearing about what's going on with someone else's life, but hearing what you're doing through someone's life, Lord. We just acknowledge you as the author of life, and we know that, God, if you're capable of being the author of life, that you are more than capable of being exactly what we look at this morning. We thank you for that, Lord. We just ask that you touch our hearts this morning through your word. In your name we pray, amen. All right, let's get started. How's everyone's summer going? Everyone have a good summer? Everyone's sports teams on board during the off season? Everyone's getting ready for, I think, college football's next, right? Sports coming up. How's everyone's TikToks? Everyone's TikTok's getting plenty of likes these days. Plenty of likes. What about, what about your fridge? How many women out there specifically have your favorite ice cream in the fridge right now? Can you raise your hand? Anyone have their favorite ice cream? All right. I'm going to get hit. But sometimes, guys, sometimes we are so sure. This morning's sermon is called, How Sure Are You? Have you ever been so sure? Have you ever been so sure that this summer was going to be the summer that your family got to go on that vacation where nobody fought, nobody got an argument. Have you ever been so sure? Dave said, yeah. (laughs) Did it happen, Dave? No arguments, no fights? No. No. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever been so sure that your sports team, this was the off season, that they got their stuff together, that this was going to be a good season for your sports team? Have you ever been so sure when you have taken a video, put it on whatever social media that this was going to be the one that goes viral? And it didn't. And your sports team did not have a winning season. Have you ever been so sure that your husband was going to bring your favorite ice cream home today because you've had a rough day, but then he didn't. I'm not getting many hands shaked after this sermon already. Sometimes we can be so sure. I'll give you an example. 18-year-old David Lane was looking in the mirror, and I looked at my hair, and I said, I got it going on. I got a nice hairline. I can do whatever style I want with it. Everyone's got a bald uncle. Everyone knows someone who's bald. 18-year-old David Lane looked in the mirror, and I said, I'll never go bald. I was sure of it. I was so, so sure, and sadly, look at me now. Sometimes things don't happen the way we expect them to, even though that we are so, so sure. This morning, we're going to talk about a man who is so sure of what was going to happen, despite Jesus himself telling him and predicting to him what was going to happen. That man's name is Peter. And Peter learned the same way that we learn through life that sometimes there are major consequences of self-confidence, and I'm not saying that self-confidence is bad. I know we grow up in a world in a culture in a society where your mother, everyone's mama, tells them they can be whatever they want to be when they grow up. And that's a good thing. To be self-confident on a basketball court, on a football field, golf, I guess. When you're playing sports, self-confidence sometimes can be the key. So I'm not saying this morning, and this sermon is not to say that being self-confident Having self-confidence is bad, but the moment that your self-confidence overpowers your dependence upon the Lord, and you start thinking, me, 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 myself, and I, I did it, I did it, it can be dangerous, and it can bring major consequences. For example, I know we all have a friend who goes to the gym. Not me. I mean, I don't go to the gym. I've got friends who go, but when I did go to the gym, I would see the guys that would get on the bench press and they could lift as much weight as they set their goal to be. And the moment that a weightlifter hits their goal and bench presses the new highest limit that they had ever bench pressed, there's this moment that you say, I did it. And you did. A weightlifter, he did. He or she was able to lift that weight that at one point he couldn't. But the difference in the gym and in the kingdom, is that in the gym, we are only capable of what this flesh and these muscles in this body will allow us to lift. But in the kingdom, build it using your self confidence, but acknowledging God first. In the kingdom, it's limitless what we're able to achieve to further the kingdom and to glorify God's name. So this morning, if you would, please stand with me as we read Mark chapter 14, verse 27 to 31. Peter's denial predicted. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will fall away because it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee Peter told him, even if everyone falls away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to him, today, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter kept insisting, if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And they all said the same thing. You may be seated. Poor Peter. His self-confidence was at an all-time high. At this point, his self-confidence had overpowered his reliance upon Christ, even though Christ was right in front of him. You see, self-confidence can so quickly turn into pride. And pride is what gets us in trouble a lot of times. Pride is what deters us from not relying on the Lord, from not only relying on the Lord, but it hinders our ability to genuinely give glory to God when good things happen. So pride not only pushes us away from remembering our reliance to Christ, but it can also prevent us from giving God the glory. Poor Peter. I really, really do feel bad for Peter because at this time Peter's heart was genuine. Peter's relationship with Christ was close. He thought and believed with all his heart that he was speaking truth to Jesus when he said, I would even die for you. Looking ahead, jumping a little bit further, wasn't that true that he was willing to die? Yes, we know the story that is going to come is gonna be that Peter, in fact, did deny Jesus. But before that, was Peter not the same one who took the sword and cut the guard's ear? at the capturing of Jesus, when the guards came to the garden to capture Jesus, Peter, in fact, was actually willing to die for Jesus. But that was in the moment. I have empathy for Peter. Peter meant what he said. He knew where he was at. He knew who he was, and he knew who Jesus was. But he missed one major thing. Guys, through our relationship with Jesus Christ... Our souls have been redeemed. Our souls have been redeemed the moment we give our life to Christ. But our flesh has not been redeemed yet. And our flesh will not be redeemed until Christ comes again and we receive our heavenly bodies. So even though Peter's soul has been redeemed and he believes in Jesus Christ, he still suffered the consequences of carrying this skin and being in this earthly body that we have. So let's go back to the scripture. We don't have to stand again, but we will go back to the scripture. Jesus' words were that because it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Does anybody anybody else here get tired of being referred to as sheep? Multiple times we're referred to as sheep. But the, the humble and answer that we don't want to hear is if If we don't want to be referred to as sheep, we need to quit acting like sheep and we're still acting like sheep in 2022. I'm sorry. But if the scripture says that the sheep will be scattered, we need to put ourselves in the hooves of sheep and think, why would a sheep scatter? Why would uh, Christ decide to use these specific words that when the shepherd is struck, the sheep will be scattered? So in order to think like sheep, we need to put ourselves in their hooves. The problem is, is that when fear overcomes faith, sadly, we, still in 2022, David Lane and you, we resort to sheepish solutions. I practiced that word 20 times, so I didn't stutter on the one. Sheepish solutions. We do. There's a moment when fear overcomes faith, and because of our flesh, we are a victim of possibly possibly fleeing sheep will be scattered the word says why what makes them scatter well first of all we need to think why would a sheep stay with the shepherd why do the sheep gather why do they stay in their flock why do, what makes them willing to depend on the shepherd and the truth is for comfort and security and their own well-being they trust the shepherd. They get to know the shepherd. They believe in the shepherd. They lean into the shepherd for their own comfort and security. When I gave my life to Christ, I knew who God was, and I knew who Jesus Christ was my entire life. But for the majority of my life, I, I was what I now call a guardian. I believed in God and who his son was, but I hadn't yet allowed his son, Jesus Christ, to be my Lord and Savior. And that's why today I call myself a Christian following Jesus Christ, not a Godian believing in a God. But I remember that even though I gave my life to Christ and fully was overwhelmed by the redemption and the, the security and comfort that Jesus provides, I still had struggles. I still had past hiccups and hurts and past guilt trying to prevent me from that full immersion, and the day that I realized that no matter what happens, because of my relationship in Christ, I will be okay, is when I realized that the comfort and security that Jesus Christ provides for us is unmatched and can never be touched. And for me as a Christian, remembering the depth of what that comfort and security meant and how only Jesus Christ could provide that for me is what keeps me close to him, the same way as sheep. So now we've, we can understand. I hope you're able to, to relate with me, and, and I hope and pray that you've been able to experience that comfort and security that Christ can give. And if you haven't, God may be speaking directly to you through this message, through his word, through what Jesus has said to us in Scripture. But the reality is the moment Moments occur where that comfort and security is jeopardized, and that is when fear can overcome faith. And it doesn't happen because we don't believe in Jesus' name. It doesn't happen. The fear doesn't come in because we're bad Christians. The fear doesn't come in because we have a sin in our lives. We're not being punished. The fear comes in because our flesh has not been redeemed yet. We still carry this flesh. And that is why all of the disciples fled. Since giving my life to Christ, um, God knows us best. We all know that. He knows the amount of hairs on our head, even though some of us can be counted a lot quicker than others. Jesus knows me better than any of you all know me. And I've been blessed and completely unworthy of God answering prayers quickly when I full-heartedly ask, And it wasn't but a mere six months after truly giving my life to Christ when God revealed to me that I was to go into missions, to be in Guatemala, to serve others, that I had a serving heart. And when that happened, there were plenty of years from 2013 to now where we can show you pictures and videos of working with kids, working with the homeless, building houses for people installing bathrooms for people, giving care packages, feeding the hungry. And you could look at those pictures and see the happiness on my face of being part of what God is doing in Guatemala. But what you don't see are the moments in the mission field when you're alone with Jesus. During the day is smiling kids and feeding the hungry and loving on others. But at night, when everyone's left, the life of a missionary can be difficult. It can be scary. There are moments that happen where you feel alone. But by not allowing that fear to overcome my faith is a way for me to show God that I'm maturing, a way to show that, God, when fearful occasions do happen, I will not flee. But we need to learn from the prediction. Why did Jesus decide reveal his prediction to Peter. It was to remind us that at moments we will, no matter if we're a past a local pastor or a missionary, or just now figuring out where we're supposed to serve in the church, there will be moments that we cannot be naive and think that I would never flee. You have to acknowledge the fact that if Peter did himself after Jesus predicted to him, then we're all capable of that. Me, my testimony of of fleeing and fear happened at the age of 19, right before I turned 20. I grew up in church my entire life here in Winchester, and I was ready for a change. I wanted to go off and do something different, so I joined the military. I joined the army, and my first week of boot camp—no, the day before I left for boot camp— our youth group at Mount Zion Christian Church made a frame for us. And our youth minister printed off a prayer for David and had all of them sign it. And that challenged me. I said, from the beginning of my military career, I will seek out to not only be a good soldier, but be a good son of Jesus Christ. I did. I wanted to glorify God through my military career. And the first week of... um, boot camp, I was already pinned as the kid who prayed before every single meal in the morning and night. And at first, yeah, there were some hecklers. There were some people giving a hard time. But after a while, it it just got normal. Everyone realized that. My drill sergeants even noticed. And a long story short, through my high school career of sports and being a smaller guy, push-ups, sit-ups, and running was not a problem for me. And I started to compete with myself. And I started to say, God, if you please just let me get better and compete with these other soldiers in our, in our trainings and exercises, I will give you the glory. And then soon enough, we had our, our, our halfway mark um, evaluation. And I was the fastest two-mile runner, did the most push-ups and sit-ups in our entire company of about 100 soldiers. And our drill sergeant said, Lane, you could possibly... Win the battalion competition for the PT test. A battalion consists of around a thousand soldiers, and here I am, five foot seven, five foot eight, with combat boots on, five foot eight, from Kentucky, Winchester, scrawny little guy, thinking, "All right, I, I could do this." I prayed every single night. I prayed every meal. I said, "God, come on, please help me." I struggled through an injury. I, I pulled something in my knee really bad. Was on crutches for the three weeks leading up to the final PT test. And when I got there, I knew that there was this guy named Blake that was faster than me in another um, company, did more push-ups than me and did more sit-ups. And I knew that I was not going to beat him. But the morning, of, the morning of the PT test, I was looking around all this huge field with about a thousand soldiers. I went straight to Black's company, looked for him, couldn't find him, and his... Uh, Drill sergeant said, no, Bleck just suffered an injury with his leg. He went back home. He's going to be recycled. So I said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Prayers answered. And that morning, out of a 1,000 soldiers, I got first place in the two-mile run. I did more sit-ups and more push-ups than any of the other soldiers and got first place out of the battalion, which allowed me to lead all the graduating class of our basic training in the soldiers' creed. And before I did, I said, I, I give thanks to God for this moment in front of all the soldiers and their parents on the graduation ceremony. And I was able to give God the glory. That's the good part. If you hang around me enough, you'll know that I won't brag on myself without telling you the reality of what happened next or what happened prior. After that, I was sent to Arizona, Fort Huachuca, Arizona, for army intelligence training. Um, and I got there and I failed a test. I was recycled to another company where I didn't know anyone. And this was a company that was referred to as a term that I can't say in the pulpit, but they were just recycled. They were all um, different people who had failed other tests like I had failed, but they were recycled. And I, I get in this group and I forgot about my relationship with Christ. I forgot about the moments that I gave God glory because I had the fear of missing out. I met these guys. I met some friends that were running around doing things they shouldn't have done. And just as quickly as I had moved up the ranks and gotten the highest award for the PT test and giving God glory, I fell into my fear of missing out. I fell into the, what happens when we listen to our flesh. And I lived many months up to a year without ever feeling bad for it. The worst part, I've I've said this many times for people who know me, the worst part about this time of my military career was not that I was sinning, was not that I had let God down, not that I had forgotten about what God did through the testimony of power of prayer and basic training. The worst part is that I didn't even feel bad for it. I didn't feel convicted. Months went by. I cringed looking at Facebook memories when it's, it's a post within those months of what I said and not even feeling bad for it and posting on Facebook. I did not feel bad. It was the scariest time of my life when I finally woke up and realized that I've been living a life of destruction, living a sinful life and not even felt bad. The worst part was not only letting my father down, it was not even, it was the fact that I was just numb. I just kept living down this bad way. But luckily, Peter did not do so. It took me months to get to the point where I could actually repent and actually see the damage that I had done in my testimony in my life. I'd like to share from Mark chapter 14, verse 66 to 72. While Peter was in the courtyard courtyard below, one of the high priest's maidservants came. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you are talking about. Then he went out to the entryway, and a rooster crowed. When the maidservant saw him again, she began to tell those standing nearby, This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing there said to Peter again, You certainly are one of them, since you are also a Galilean. Then he started to curse and swear, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, a rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered when Jesus had spoke the word to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And this is the most important part. Right here. He broke down and wept. Peter broke down and wept. The same night, lucky for us, lucky for Peter, followed being a part of what God was doing leading up to the crucifixion of Christ, Peter broke down and wept that same night. Unlike little old David Lane, who took months and wound up ending my military career because of the life of destruction that I was in and taking so long because I never felt convicted, Peter not only felt convicted, but he followed that conviction to his knees and cried out, So now we have learned two valuable lessons. One is that Jesus' word always comes true to the exact detail. Jesus predicted not only that Peter would deny him, but how many times and by when the rooster would crow. Why did Jesus decide to predict this? This morning's message is not about the fact that Peter denied Jesus. This morning's message is about why Jesus decided to predict and reveal it to Peter ahead of time. He didn't reveal and predict to Judas, did he? He didn't tell Judas that he was going to betray him. So why did he choose to reveal this to Peter? Imagine the anguish that Peter must have endured that night. I really do empathize with him. Poor Peter. (sighs) His conviction derived from redemption of the soul through his relationship with Christ. But he still did not understand that his moment of weakness was not a reflection of his relationship with Christ, but was a moment that reflected his weakness of his flesh not yet being redeemed imagine how he must have felt as you read if you read more and study more into it you can see that there's a good chance that the moment peter was cursing and denying jesus that last time he looked over and saw jesus imagine what peter must have been thinking that night have you ever felt bad have you ever felt that bad imagine peter the questions that may be going on in his mind if Jesus dies, the last words he heard from my mouth were words of denial, denying him, letting him down. We all have struggled with false guilt. I know I have. After that whole military career mishap, guys, I, no one believed me. It, uh, the, the icing on the cake was a charge for underage drinking at the age of 20 years old. And people say, you can't get discharged for underage drinking in the army. Goodness sakes, they serve it to you there. Well, in that time for me, President Obama was trying to downsize the military by 50,000 troops. And I was not only in an MOS, any old MOS, I had an intelligence analyst position with a top secret clearance, which means if I have anything on my record, like underage drinking or shoplifting, any of those, you lose that top secret clearance. And our first sergeant said, well, if President Obama wants to uh, downsize the military, we're going to help him out. Anyone who fails this breathalyzer tonight and is under the age of 21 is out. General discharge. That happened to me. I felt that guilt. I let, after I had done all that I did, giving God the glory and seeing the fruits, seen, I tasted it, I still let him down. And I was ashamed to come back to Winchester. I didn't. I went to, lived in Tifton, Georgia for about a year, used an excuse to meet some family that I didn't know down there and thought I'll live with them. The the truth, the real thing was the false guilt that I had. I didn't wanna come back to Winchester after that. I didn't want, even though I finally got to the point that I knew I had been living my life wrong and let my Lord and savior down, it was still about this false guilt of how could I ever go back to Winchester and you know claim that I'm a Christian or that I actually get it now after this had just happened. Imagine the false guilt that Peter was struggling with that night. It might be easier for some of us to imagine because you may have gone through it. Guilt hurts. Guilt hurts, and it's something that the devil, the enemy, will grab onto. And it's like you want to move forward for Christ, but the devil's got your ankle. And it's a battle if you're willing to move forward and put more energy into it than he is to pull back. It's painful. False guilt hurts. So where do we find our hope? To battle false guilt, we must look for true hope. The opposite of false guilt would be true hope. And my true hope is in not only Jesus Christ, but knowing that he knows who I am. And that is one of the reasons why Jesus chose to predict and reveal to Peter ahead of time what Peter would do. Not to hurt him. Not to hurt him. In fact, Jesus was actually quite the genius with it. Before, look back just a little bit, before he revealed to Peter and the disciples that, that they would scatter like sheep? What did he do? He had, the big me- he had a meal with them. This was right after the Lord's Supper. This was right after they had a meal. Jesus wanted them together. He did not give them this news to, to be a benefactor or to be a part of scattering them. He was warning them because he knew what would happen. So where do we find our true hope? Our true hope lies in this. Jesus longs to remind us who he is and why he came, which is because he knows who we are to him. He doesn't only know us, he knows who we are to him. And that's not just a sheep. It's his precious sheep worth dying for. Mark chapter 16, verses 5 through 7. Here's the hope, guys, the beginning of the hope. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. They were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him. But this is the important part. Go tell the disciples and Peter and Peter. He is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. Here's the hope before we've even heard from Jesus, before Jesus has revealed himself back to the disciples, he already prioritized Peter so much so that he left this special bit of instruction to the angel, the messenger. Why? Why did the angel say, tell the disciples and Peter? Because Jesus knew. Jesus knew the false guilt that Peter must have been dealing with. Jesus wanted to encourage one of his first and foremost priorities it here was Peter to encourage him. Peter was heavy on Jesus's heart and Jesus empathized. Not just because Peter loved Peter. I mean, not just because Jesus loved Peter, but because Jesus knew that Peter loved him. Jesus knew that even though he would deny him, that he still loved him. Jesus knows our hearts. No matter what hurt or hiccup you're caught up in, Jesus knows your heart now and what you're capable of doing. Who has Jesus sent in your life to remind you the same way that Jesus prioritized leaving that information of Peter about Peter with the messenger, with the angel? The same way that Jesus used that angel to right from the beginning, right from the get-go, reinforce and uplift Peter, to encourage Peter, God puts people in our lives to remind us. But the problem is sometimes we're not listening. The problem is sometimes we're so caught up with achieving that goal, that dream of what mom said we could be anything we wanted to and some Where along the line, we allowed our self-confidence to take over. And we forgot about our reliance upon the Lord. Guys, if we can put down that self-confidence, the next person that Jesus sends in our life to just knock on our hearts a little bit, tap on our hearts, it's going to be easier to listen. Self-confidence is not bad unless it overcomes our dependence on the Lord. John 21, verse 4 to 8. I do not believe this one's up here, so let me read this for us. This is how I know that Peter loved Jesus with all his heart. This is what ensures me that Jesus, and reminds me, and proves that Jesus knew exactly what he was doing by revealing the prediction first. John 21, verse 4 to verse 8. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called to them, You don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, Is it the Lord? When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off, and plunged into the sea. Guys, what do you picture when you hear the word plunged? He just face first dove the best he could straight into the water. When they got on land, nope plunged into the To the sea, the other disciples came in on the boat, dragging the net full of fish. Um, Since they were not far from land, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. Peter stood out from the rest of the disciples and just wholeheartedly plunged into the water towards the Lord. So we go from such a moment of self-guilt to him plunging straight in towards the Lord. Guys, there is a verse that says Be self controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. You know who wrote that? Here's a hint. It's in the book, 1 Peter 5 8. Be self controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You think when Peter wrote that, he might have been reflecting on the night that he denied Jesus? the night that he realized that the devil got a hold of one of his weakness, which did not have anything to do with his heart. But the devil got a hold of Peter's weakness and caused destruction. So now we've got to the point that that Peter is plunged into the water to Jesus. Peter... Is now about to be restored. John 21, verse 15 to 17. Read this and be encouraged. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to them, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, Son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time. Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. The result was that Jesus' prediction, in fact, was true, like God's Word, to the point that that Peter denied Jesus. But that led to repentance, which led to restoration, which led to the reward. And the reward is that Peter would go and be the first disciple to preach and share the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ lives, On the day of the Pentecost, 3,000 came to know the Lord after Peter preached. Guys, we, the result is that we struggle the same way as Peter. We have opportunities where fear can overcome faith. We are not exempt from that. But through repentance, and only through repentance in the name of Jesus Christ, can lead to restoration, And then the reward is that unlike in the gym, lifting weights, we are capable of doing so much more for the kingdom, more than what this body is able to do. So why did Jesus choose to predict this to Peter? He did it to teach Peter and us not to rely only on self-confidence, Is it true that when the Bible says, do not put your faith in man, but Christ alone, that that even includes me, myself, and I? Yes, it does. He revealed by predicting Peter's denial and letting us see how the result leads to repentance, to restoration, to reap the reward and benefits, teaches us and reveals to us that salvation is through Christ alone. Not our acts. Peter did nothing but cry out and fully repent to Christ. And it finally and foremost reminds us that he knows our hearts. Why did Jesus not reveal to Judas? Because Jesus already knew Judas's heart. He knew what Judas's motives were, but he still knew Peter's and he still knows yours. Jesus knew the outcome when he gave the prediction. Guys, you don't get skinny and then go on a diet. You don't, you go on a diet to get skinny. This morning, if you feel like you're capable doing more, you don't get rid of all your sins to come to Jesus. You don't get rid of all the bad things in your life to come sit in a chair at church. You come find Jesus and you come to church with those sins to help work your way through those sins. And you'll find yourself at the foot of the cross, unworthy, but still there close to Christ. The result for me was that it took me the, learning the hard way to come to Christ. My repentance came in a jail cell. Sixth time in jail, repentant, repented. The restoration came through that prayer, through me hitting my knees and calling out, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, and saying, I need you. I need you. The same way we raise our hands in worship is the same way a three-year-old comes up, Mom, hold me. Dad, hold me. We need Christ, and we need the Lord. My restoration came quickly, and God showed my will, or His will for my life. And the reward is what you're about to see. I didn't let my past hiccups and hurts prevent what I could possibly do to further the kingdom. And in 2012, if you had searched my name in Google, you would have seen a mugshot. And now if you search my name in Google, you'll find the director of Uplifting Ministries. The same way that Peter was able to go and share the good news, years later, I can go and I can share the good news. And God has chosen to let me do that in Guatemala. So I want to, to show you all a video real quick. And before the video plays, I want you to be reminded that none of this would have been possible. If I hadn't let that self-guilt put that behind me so that I could follow the Lord, then this never would have been possible. I share that with you not to show off, not to brag, because despite that beautiful video, and for me getting to be a part of a church plant, and to build a new church to further the kingdom, I'm still not worthy. But it took me realizing that God is willing to use me. God wants to use me, despite how I've let him down, despite my sins, despite my hurts and hang-ups, by not being a victim of false guilt, I was able to move forward working with Christ, working for the kingdom in a way that I never thought possible. So my question for you this morning is where are you at? We've all let Christ down. We've all let God down. But are you holding on to the false guilt? Because if I had done that I'd still be the same place I was on this trip in February. We had the privilege of many visitors and guests coming Some doctors and nurses from Michigan that you saw in that video. We not only planted the church, but we had a medical uh, clinic. We had a care package giveaway and we had the graffiti team spraying the name of Jesus on shirts. We had um, Ray and Andrew Faust and their family came down and volunteered and their 11-year-old son shared a testimony, two kids in Spanish of his own age, and I got to translate that first time I got to translate for an 11-year-old sharing his testimony of baptism. We had a young lady fly all the way from Switzerland to come work on our English program uh, for it's actually a part of her university studies. It's a requirement for her to graduate. She has to volunteer at an educational-based. Organization outside of the country of Switzerland. What my wife didn't tell me after we send them all our paperwork for uplifting and they approved it was that this University of Lucerne, Switzerland, only accepts organizations that will allow the university to send a volunteer every year for our program. Which that wound up being a good thing. Um, We had the altar call of around 40, right below 50 people came. 300 people. Um, attended, 14 people rededicated their life to Christ. And that is just the church plan. We still have all the children we sponsor, all the English classes, the Bible classes. Guys, it's what I'm trying to get across is it's bigger than what I was ever capable and am capable of accomplishing. But by, through obedience, I've been able to accomplish it and to give God the glory. And I Like I said, I share this with you, not to brag, not to to say, wow, look at me. I I share this with you to say, wow, look at what God is waiting to do through you because I am no one. I, in fact, without God, without following Christ's instruction, was headed the wrong way. So this morning, as we prepare to end this service, I want to invite you. I want to ask you to really... Let go of that self guilt or that false guilt. Let go of the hurts. Let go of what is ever preventing you. Let go of what Satan is using to grab a hold of you with. So as we finish the service, um, the worship team can come on up, and um, while this song is playing, take some time to go to the offering plates in the front or in the back and self-analyze look at who you are and don't look at your hurts and hang-ups look at who you are as how God sees you look at the person at the soul at the heart that Jesus sees in you because it's still you and if you give it to Jesus give it to God you're never going to be the same my fear was missing out on having fun when I gave my life to Christ. And these past few years have been the most fun I've had in my life, by far. If you'd like to experience that today, please come forward. Pray with someone. Come to the altar. Get on your knees. Give it to God. Lay it down at the feet of Jesus. Let us sing.